Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at elevatepod.com. In this guide created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at elevatepod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And wow, I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting down with Chris Larson today. You're going to learn the secrets of the ultra rich today. You're going to think, you're going to learn how to think bigger, how to go bigger, how to systematize, iterate, maximize your real estate investing strategy based on what's happening now, based on what may happen in the future. You're going to also learn about where we might be in the market cycle and what to anticipate here over the coming four or five, six years, maybe 10 years. You're going to learn about really some high level anticipation in terms of migration trends, demographics, how that might relate to your own growth in your real estate portfolio, whether you're a passive investor, whether you're active investor, whether you're both, right? Or whether you desire to be one or both of those. And this is super valuable. If you want to be financially free, this episode is for you. If you want to be financially independent, if you want to be financially extremely strong, today's episode is for you because we're going big. We're taking things to the next level with Chris Larson today. And Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar together. And if you are here, you know what I'm going to ask you next. Pay the fee. The fee is pay it forward. Share this episode with someone else. If you've already done that before, thank you. I'm, in, I'm asking you to do that again. Please pay this episode forward. Grab the link, send in a text message, share it on social media, share it in an email, whatever you need to do to pay it forward. If you've already done that before, we just ask that you do that again to someone else. The only way that we can grow this podcast is if you introduce us to other people. And the only way that we can continue to bring on amazing guests, amazing content is if we continue to grow. And so with all that said, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here and also paying it forward. Also give us a rating, a review, subscribe, or follow Elevate Podcasts on wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. It's all very important to us. It's, it's so important. And I want to continue to pour into you. And we're going to continue to do that. I also want your feedback. If you can shoot me an email at info at elevatepod.com. Let me know. What do you like? What do you love? What do you dislike? What do you hate? What do you want more of from Elevate Podcast? I want you to own the future of this podcast. So give me some feedback. Send me an email at info at elevatepod.com or send me a DM on Instagram at elevatepod. With all that said, I want to introduce you to Chris Larson, who is the founder and managing partner of Next Level Income. Chris has been investing in and managing real estate for over 20 years. While still a college student, he bought his first rental property at age 21. You're also going to learn about that process and really 
how he got started and what he did to iterate from that today. From there, Chris expanded into development, private lending, buying distressed debt, as well as commercial offices, and ultimately syndicating multifamily properties. He began syndicating deals in 2016 and has been actively involved in over $400 million of real estate acquisitions. Chris is passionate about helping investors become financially independent. So without further ado, please welcome to the show, Chris Larson. Chris Larson, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you? Tyler, I'm excited to be here, man. It's been, I, I thought we'd never finish just chatting in the beginning of the show. This is, <laughs> this is awesome. I'm fired up. I'm like, man, if you send me another link, this could be another 15 minutes. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen, but we did just become best friends before the episode. So that's all the listeners need to know because we're going to have a lot of fun today. I'm excited about it. Chris, uh, before we dive into really the meat of the discussion, if you were to describe yourself in the way that your friends, family, people that know you best, how would they describe Chris Larson? Crazy, crazy. They, okay, I think I like people, it. I think people wonder why I do what I do. And like my neighbor, she's like, so let me get this straight. You don't have to work anymore. And you're doing all this stuff. Like what, like, couldn't you just like, I'm just, that's just not me, man. Um, I, I was talking to somebody about, I race bikes for like 20 years and it's, you know, I was, I was talking to one of my coaching clients yesterday. I worked in the medical device field. And so does this client. Um, and it's crazy. Like you work, 60, 80, 100 hour weeks. And I said, look, man, he's looking at maybe a change. And I said, look, I said, I said, you could take my advice. I said, but I race bicycles. Like that's what I enjoy doing for fun. It's just like pure suffering. I said, so I'm just kind of built to, I'm built and I don't mind doing things that others don't want to do. It gives me pleasure to say, Hey, you know what? Like I can do that. I've done that. Um, that's kind of what I look to do for fun, do things like raft down the grand Canyon and row, row my boat, 226 miles, you know, for vacation. So, so it's like you're built for suffering. You think that that's kind of, that's become a commonality. I, I don't, I don't mind it. I don't mind working for an outcome. Let's put it that way. Yeah. It hasn't always been that way. I would imagine. Right. I've, I have, uh, I have always had this like kind of future focus, Tyler, and that is also kind of the curse, right? Which is I've had to learn to live in the moment and enjoy life more and dial it back and say, okay, like my kids aren't going to be 10 for the rest of their lives. We need to do things like go and play some ping pong this evening instead yeah. of, uh, you know, record another podcast or write another chapter of the book or, you know, go look at another, at another deal. Yeah, I love that. And and just so the listeners know, like what we're doing right now stands between us and the ping pong game, which is <laughs> which is happening here, here very shortly. So uh, we're going to try to play a little ping pong today. But but Chris, um, talk to us a little bit about your background, your upbringing. Yep. Um, I know that obviously you've you, you got a background in, in biomechanical engineering, also medical device industry. But prior to that, I mean, give us a sense of what life was like growing up and and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we live in Asheville, North Carolina now, wonderful little town. Um, love North Carolina, love, love the city we live in, love the mountains, but grew up off the Chesapeake Bay in between Annapolis and Baltimore. Most of my wife's family, I'm sorry, my mother's family, uh, was from the Baltimore area. Um, my father died and I talk about this in my book, which I'm, I'm happy to, if you're listening today, I'll, I'll share a copy with you and tell you, um, Hey, you can get that by going to our website. But my father died when I was five. And, you know, so I grew up with my mother, my mother remarried my stepfather. Um, and it was a very, it was a very humble, you know, upbringing, you know, straight middle-class. Uh, but I was very fortunate that my mother kept us in a very good school district. Um, she, you know, taught us a really good work ethic. 
Um, I think I was blessed with, with some intellect. Um, you know, I always, um, did well on standardized tests and enjoyed math. And I, I think I was mentioned to you before the show, I'm like a, I'm like a multi-level nerd. You know, I was, <laughs> I was on the math team. I was, I was in the band. I went to band camp. I, you know, I, I was the ping pong champ of the class. Like these are like things that like the super nerd does, right? Like I wasn't, you know, I was, are you going to start telling us that yeah. one time at band camp stories here or what? Are we gonna I'm do? not, I don't know how, I don't know if it's PG or where this, where this uh, <laughs> podcast falls, but um, I'm going to, I'll leave, I'll leave it. I'll leave it to the listener's imagination. If you God. will. But, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that was, you know, that was kind of my life. And then I found cycling. And for this person that was kind of an outlier um, and didn't quite fit in in any one specific area, when I was 13, I started riding my bike a lot. When I was 14, I started racing my bike. And I was like, wow, like this is like what I'm going to do. 15, I was state champ, went to the national championships the next year, um, went to the uh, Junior Olympics, stayed at the the, uh, Olympic Training Center the year after that, raced into college. And that was my life until... um, until about halfway through college, but, uh, it was really kind of, you know, I look back and if, you know, it was kind of academics, um, and music until I found cycling and then everything else kind of slowly went to the wayside. Obviously academics still kind of persisted, um, as, as I continued into college, but it really cycling was my absolute passion. So halfway through college, I mean, was there, was there a reason it became not a part of your life or what, what happened? Yeah. So, um, there's, there's several different things, Tyler. So, um, cycling is a tough sport and because it's such a demanding sport on the body, drugs have a massive impact, you know, when people take them. And I think everybody knows the story about drugs and cycling. The thing is there's drugs in every professional sport and mm-hmm. you have to kind of have your head in the sand or head somewhere else. If you think that they're not running rampant in, in leagues that don't test, for instance, and you guys can go figure out what those leagues are. The bottom line is cheaters are everywhere, but I had friends that were better than me going to Europe. They were come back, tell me these stories about people sticking needles in their arms, sticking needles elsewhere. And I'm like, I'm not, I always said, I'm not good enough to do drugs. Like I'm not going to be a crappy pro that's on drugs. Like, right. And, and you might say, well, wait a minute, you would have done drugs if you were going to be a good pro. And I don't know. I was fortunate that I didn't have to make that decision, but I do know that a lot of people that were put in that position between living their dream and throwing their dream away because they weren't going to do something that everybody else was doing, they did it or they threw their dream away and they've been very bitter about it. So that was happening. Um, I was in school. Uh, my best friend passed away uh, between my freshman and sophomore years. And my sophomore year, I came back to school. I didn't want to be an engineer. I was in engineering school. Um, I wasn't happy riding and racing my bike. And I thought, man, there's more to life than this. And it, when I was, when I was winning races, when I was all American cyclist, um, and when my team went pro, I decided I was not going to go pro and that, that there was more, there was more to life than just riding my bike around, um, 10, 20, 30 hours a week. Well, good for you, first of all. And, and it's actually really interesting to think about um, folks that may be at the top of their game who have to make that decision or, you know, are certainly much more pressured to make that decision. And so it's interesting to kind of get into the mind of 
where that all originates. And, and obviously it's probably more pervasive than many of us know, but that's not yeah. really the scope of this conversation or this podcast, but it is interesting to consider what really happens in society across all these different silos. But that's an interesting, you have a really interesting background, interesting story. So you mentioned that you were not really interested in going into engineering at that point, you were studying it. Um, and so then you had to make a decision to kind of pivot and your whole identity then needed to be shifted. Or I'm, I'm assuming that you went through quite a bit of challenge there to kind of change course. I was floating around without direction. That's for sure. Cause here I am, what was my life for my entire kind of adult existence from 14 to 20, I gave up cycling. Um, my peer group, my friends, most were cyclists. Um, I go to class. I don't relate to these people that are mm. in my mind, a lot smarter than me. And, um, fortunately I've, I met some great friends and, uh, was able to get through the engineering program and stuck with it. Um, but yeah, but what I found was investing. And the reason is I wanted to live every day to the most, and it's hard. This is where the balance that comes in. Like we talked about, um, at the beginning of the show here, but you need money. You need financial freedom to do that. And that dawned on me very early on. And I said, okay, um, if I'm going to honor my life that I still have and my friend's life that he doesn't have, I need to have money and the ability, the financial means to go do these things. And that's what really drove my interest in investing um, and what ultimately led me to real estate. So obviously you had this huge challenge, your best friend passed away that kind of, I'm sure caused you to ponder the meaning of life and impact and legacy and all this kind of stuff, which gave you this ability to say, all right, well, how am I going to shift my identity? And by the way, I think that so many people listening will either resonate with, you know, these trials and tribulations of their life and to say, you know what, they've had these moments in life that have kind of really caused them to step back and say, man, who am I? What am, what am I all about? What is this all about? What's the purpose of all of this? And I think that's why a lot of us get into this business or becoming investors or entrepreneurs to say, you know, well, what's my purpose, right? There's a bigger reason for me being here. And obviously I can optimize and, and maximize my talents and utilize this vehicle and this, this lane towards making that happen. So talk to me about that. I mean, obviously now the thought comes in your mind of, all right, well, I can do this through investing was your first step real estate. And you're like, Hey, real estate could be my Avenue. Or were there many other thoughts that were going through your mind at the time? Yeah. So first off, I think when, when you lose somebody like I did, you realize, especially at a young age, and there's, there's data to back this up. Um, Malcolm Gladwell writes about it. He wrote outliers, but you realize time's not finite. When you realize time's not finite, you realize the value of every day is humongous. It's huge, right? If I told you you had 10 days left to live, you, your, your view on life and your actions would change massively. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's the thing. I think that, you know, if you, if you wake up, if you're given the gift of life, if you have, if you're listening to this podcast, I mean, shoot, if you work out, like the ability to work out, recreate, you know, and, and exercise for, for leisure and fun, that's something that very, 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 very few people do. Okay. So you're very fortunate if you're, if you're in those categories, if you're making a lot of money enough to be an accredited investor, man, you are in rarefied air. So you have to appreciate that once you have that level and you say, okay, um, kind of where, where do I go from here? And kind of, as I went through this process in my mind, it's like, all right, I've been given this gift. Now, what do I do with it? I said, okay, need, need financial independence. I turned to the stock market. This is in the late nineties, man. It was ripping. 
ripping. I started day trading. I was making like $5,000 a month as a junior in college. I was like, I am I got a girlfriend. I got my, you know, I bought my first townhouse, but I wasn't sleeping. And I was like laying in bed at 3 a.m. one morning. And I was like, there's got to be a better way than this. Cause I want it all right. I want like lifestyle and everything. And I thought, okay. So I started to research more on the real estate side. And what I found was the ability to leverage control appreciation, um, as well as, you know, negotiate prices. I'm like, this is more my speed. So in my process of getting my MBA and portfolio management, reading 250 some books on, on financial on finances and investing, I honed in on real estate and that's really how I built my initial plan, which was, you know, buy enough properties, create $10,000 a month in income, um, after expenses before debt service, but after expenses, and then let's just go get a job, Chris, where I can make enough money to continue to invest, pay off these mortgages. And then 10 grand a month, I'm free. And that was the, the original plan that I put together. It was, I wanted a plan with, um, and I want to expand on this, but I wanted a plan with uh, a fair amount of certainty and a timeline. Okay. So a fair amount of certainty in a timeline. So let's come back to that. So the, the tactic and the strategy in the beginning was the outcome was 10,000 a month. Right. And so that was to be financially free or, or however you want to describe that. Right. And so were the tactics to get a, you know, you know, get a career in, in medical device sales or, or how did that work? And you were leveraging those, that income towards purchasing properties or how did that work? Yeah. So I bought my first two properties in college. Um, I might even bought my third property. Also. I mean, they give anybody a loan back then, you know, yeah. I could like, you know, they'd take my pulse and they'd be like, all right, how much do you want for this property? <laughs> um, but yeah, I had, I, I wasn't even making real money um, by the time I bought enough properties to get to that point. Um, but really the med device industry was something that I was introduced to and that I found where I could make enough money to be accredited and ultimately pay off those, you know, millions of dollars of mortgages that I'd accumulated at that point. So you were buying houses in college and then shortly thereafter, the same thing, were you still buying single family houses or are you buying other types of properties? Cause I know you've got a wide range of experience, but the early times, yep. was that mostly single families? Just single family. Yep. Initially. Okay. Yeah. For the first 10 years, um, actually closer to, um, yeah, 10, 12 years was all hundred percent single family. Got it. And pretty straightforward in terms of, you know, rent expenses, debt, and let's get to that 10,000 number. So ultimately yeah, how long did it take you to get to the 10,000 number? Uh, it took me, I mean, I was able by 25, I had enough properties that I had, I had $10,000 a month after expenses coming in. Love it. Okay. And so then from there, I would imagine you're looking around and you're saying, all right, horizon has been met. Now what's the new horizon. So what, where, where were yeah. your, where was your focus from there? Yeah. So remember that was before debt service. So then I was like, all right, pay down, pay down the mortgages. Right. So like the snowball effects, I'm like, all right, mm -hmm. start paying these down. Well, then I'm, now I'm working. So now I'm like, all right, I kind of have that plan in place. Right. Tyler. So I was like, okay, now I just have to make as much money as possible essentially. So I put my head down then from age 25 till I was, I had my second son. Um, I was probably about 32. And at that point, I kind of finally picked my head up because I'd hit a nice stride in my career. Um, I was accredited. I had options to other investments out there, but I wasn't doing very well with those properties that I bought a decade before. What I realized was you make money really slow with single family. Right. Um, and then we went through like the great recession and talk about a roller coaster ride. I mean, it was ugh, talk about it in my book, like going through this roller coaster. It's like, that's just not cool. Um, it's almost as bad as, you know, the stock market was in the nineties. I'm like, what the hell? So I, I learned from that as well. I also learned about real estate cycles during that period. Um, so 
I had my head down. And during that period, right after I picked my head up, I was, I was talking to somebody at a meeting with my wife and he mentioned commercial real estate, more specifically apartments, multifamily. I looked into it and that's when I, that's when I kind of saw the light. And, you know, that's why in my, in my book, I say, uh, the Holy grail of real estate. And what I learned was multifamily commercial real estate, but specifically multifamily gave me better returns passively. So I'm already like, okay, I'm starting to fall in love here, you know, because mm-hmm. um, I'm, this is a guy working 60, 80 plus hours a week. It's like, I don't need to actively manage this stuff if I don't have to. Oh, and by the way, you can control the appreciation and get better tax benefits than you're getting now. So right. I, I, when I found that out, uh, I rapidly sold all of my single family properties <laughs> and moved hundred percent of that money into commercial real estate. So the only single family properties we currently own our is our is our primary residence which also houses two airbnbs on the same property i love that and i'm i'm in the exact same boat and so i, yeah. I totally resonate with your process there and you know i'm also thinking like i'm i'm seeing your story and i'm i'm envisioning your story and i'm seeing it i'm trying to see it through the lens of the engineering mind because even though you decided you weren't going to be an engineer that engineer mind never left you. And so I'm imagining you're looking at multifamily properties, multifamily real estate and saying, you know what, not only does this make sense from, uh, from an economies of scale perspective, from a return on investment perspective in comparison to what you had been doing, but then you look at it and you said, I can scale this because I can systematize, I can create process and just the nature of the asset allows me to do that. So am I understanding that correctly? Am I making the correct assumption there? You are, and I can, there's there's kind of a, a philosophy I've built around this, which I'm happy to to share. Please, um, but but yeah, the engineering side of me, I, I look, I did not like engineering, frankly, but I really enjoy the engineering process, the the, the process of going through assumptions, identifying a problem and solving the problem, and then iterating. That's you know a word you hear like a lot in programming and engineering, which is go through it, see what see what result you get, improve upon it, and then do it again, make it better. Like this is. It's, you know, Kaizen, this is, they talk about it in Japanese culture, all these things, right? And this is how you get better at operating multifamily, at operating commercial deals and ultimately create more value. Okay. It's very important, but here's the, here's what I want to talk about, Tyler. So I'm, I'm, um, you know, maybe I'm a bit of a contrarian. All right. Like I've, I've, I got educated as a portfolio manager in, in finance. I didn't go work on wall street. I didn't become a financial advisor. I, I said, no, wait, I want to, I want to put a ton of money into whole life insurance and buy a bunch of income producing properties. Cause you know what? I want to be like the ultra rich. I don't want to be like the Dave Ramsey disciples that are like, Hey, I'm worth a million dollars and I don't have any debt and I get to retire at 65. That's great if you're poor, but if you're listening to the show, you're probably not that person. All right. Here's where I think we're, we're doing young people a disservice. We talk, first off, we're not educating them on how to, how to figure out the return on college. I just put a, um, a tool together. It's on my website. Um, go to nextlevelincome.com slash kids, five steps on how to teach your kids about money, teach them to be money pros. Okay. Five steps to be money pros. And the last one is teach them how to identify the ROI on college. Okay. If you don't understand it, there's a great article in there and you can start to educate yourself to have that discussion with kids. The other thing is we tell young people, Hey, go out, take lots of risk, do it when you're young. Cause you can always recover when you're older. The problem is it's kind of like baseball. Okay. I love Moneyball. I love Michael Lewis. I think he's a great author. Um, I love his movies. I love his books. I've read almost all of them. But guys that hit a lot of home runs, it's exciting, but they strike out a lot. 
what they figured out in Moneyball was you want to hit singles, doubles, triples. You want to get people on base and you want to score runs, right? That's what wins World Series. And by the way, I just took my boys to watch the Braves win the World Series here um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and that was my first love as a sport. But little aside here. So I said, well, okay, you know, I'm starting to think about this process and look at returns and volatility in the stock market. And what I realized was I wanted certainty because if I knew I had $10,000 a month coming in, in passive income at the time I was 30, 35, well, how much risk can you take if you don't have to work ever again? You don't need any more money. A lot of risk. I think we'd be better served if we taught our youth how to develop a plan to achieve financial independence by focusing on building passive income streams from real estate, from businesses, from other endeavors, then once you have that security, take risk. Okay. That's, I think there's a lot of value in that. Now I love, I love the Elon Musk's and the Bill Gates and the Steve jobs and the Mark Zuckerberg's out there that, you know, come up with these ideas and, and people are always going to do that. But I think for the vast majority of people going to college without, you know, knowing, what, what you should do with your life or what you're going to study, um, you know, taking huge risks, spending a lot of money, losing a lot of money, you know, in the stock market or in other, other ventures, you know what, I can invest a hundred thousand dollars in Bitcoin now, or, or some sort of speculative adventure. Cause I, it's okay. If I lose that money, I don't plan yeah. on it. I don't want to, but I can do that now. If I did it with my first hundred and I lost that, it took, I had to build that the next hundred and I did it again, lost it again. And now I'm 10 years down the road and I have nothing to show for it. Well, now I got, it takes a lot of time to make up for that because you've lost the time value of money. And that's something that we just don't calculate. Man, hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line. 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcaploc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. Real quick comment. I mean, I, I was just actually literally speaking to a friend of mine who's, she's actually a younger girl. She's in college and she's about to graduate a major university. You know, I'm not going to mention the name of the, of the university, but her mother is a single mother. She's still working. She's been working for years and years and years, just to the bone. I mean, unbelievable. And, you know, middle income sort of career. And she's just pouring so much money into this university. And so I'm asking this girl who graduates in a few months and I'm like, Hey, you know, what's next? What are you going to do now? No clue. I mean, no clue. And you think about the ROI of that. I mean, it's, it's very sad. And so financial education to me is highly, it's, it's to me is the most important. Like we have to be financially literate. We have to understand what's the trade, you know, is the trade worth it? Ultimately to me, that's the most basic question, whether it's time, money, energy, resources, whatever. And so thinking about that, I think it's such a base level question to say, all right, well, is this worth it? And so for you, what you've identified is, Hey, 
let's ask those type of first principle thinking type of questions and question and be a little bit contrarian and say, all right, well, now let's structure our life differently. I agree, man. I think that the world has taught most people how to be average, how to be mediocre, how to, you know, not make mistakes. It's like playing to lose and said, what we're trying to do is play to win. You talked about, Hey, I want to be, I want to be ultra rich. Why not? Right. I mean, yeah. I don't want to just be, you know, the next door millionaire, like let's go big. So that's, that's kind of what your thought thought process is too. So expand upon that. Yeah. So again, um, and listen, if, if you're listening and you're like, this is too much, I'm too late in life, whatever it might be, it's never too late to learn what people that are better than you are doing in, in, in an area. Right. So whether it was when I was a cyclist and I, I, you know, I'd study, you know, the best cyclists out there, the training methods, or whether, you know, I started out, I looked and said, like, what are the best investors doing? And there's people worth way, way, way more than me, you know, and, you know, they, they take a lot of risk, potentially, and they've done some things. So my way is not the only way. Um, but again, the engineering thing, we need to question the assumptions, right? And I looked at it, I'm like, this doesn't make sense to me, a lot of these things, right? And once you build wealth predictably, if you do it early in life, if you're in your 30s and you're financially independent, which I think everybody has the capacity to do, even if it takes a little longer, add, a little, add five or 10 years to that, 40, 50. If, if you're 50, I'm planning to live to 120. Figure yes. out how to become, how to be healthy, focus on your health, focus on your financial independence. And then as you have that, you know, have that income coming, now you can say, okay, how do I create a legacy for my family, right? So once you have the passive income portion, once you have that financial security, then you focus on the legacy portion for your family. And that's, that's the second piece, right? That lasting legacy, the financial education, which is why we have next level income, because nextlevelincome.com helps teach you all of these components. And then you say, okay, how do I, how do I ensure that my children have the knowledge and also the financial means? And we do that. A lot of that is through not only our investing, but our our life insurance strategies that we we build around this again, just like the ultra rich. And then you know what else the ultra rich do? They do take a portion of their portfolio and they put it into areas that are more speculative because they can. So if you take 80% of your portfolio and you have it in very secure areas like whole life insurance, like commercial real estate, maybe you know, like like some bonds, a stock market, some stuff like that, you can bet on things like early growth companies like venture capital, you know, like cryptocurrencies, you know, like um, different ventures, small businesses, these sorts of things. So it's called the barbell strategy. If you if you've heard of Nassim Taleb, he wrote the Black Swan. Yep. He talks about this as well. Put the majority of your portfolio, like the like 80-90% of it, into very secure areas, things like multifamily real estate that are institutional quality. Then you can go big on the other other side of things. Or you can start a company. Like you can think about that as part of those things. I think, you know, we need to teach kids, you know, as you mentioned, financially, but then also teach them how to be entrepreneurs, not just to be a cog in the wheel of somebody else's business. I totally agree. And, and to, here's another baseline question when it comes down to that. It's instead of I can't afford that, it's how can I afford that? Yes, exactly. <laughs> that exactly. changes everything. It yeah. unlocks everything. It puts you in the world of possibilities. Yeah. You mentioned Nassim Tlaib. I'm reading actually right now, Anti-Fragile. Uh, it is awesome book. amazing. It's his yes, best work. Awesome it's um, so good. His, yeah. And um, I, I just highly dead, recommend. Do you even deadlift, bro? I think that's his quote. <laughs> He's got a quote. I know. So if you, it's hilarious. Yeah. If he, you don't, if you're up. listening and you don't deadlift, then you gotta, you gotta read this book. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, that's so good. We'll put a link in the show notes. Of course, we'll put a link in the show notes. That's where you can find Chris's book as well. We'll we'll talk about where you can find that. But but Chris, this is so good because we're building the the foundation and the thought process and the philosophy. Because now we can say, all right, well, if that's a philosophy, now if we're going to go this barbell strategy, right? Let's just say we're building and strengthening the eighty to ninety percent, right? The the stable let's say multifamily. We're talking about multifamily to a large degree. When you look at a deal, you were talking about iterating. You were talking about improving Kaizen. I mean, that that philosophy is important, not only for business, but also for life, obviously, and, and how you're developing as an individual. But when you're looking at a system or a process, walk us through your thought process. How do you look at something to say, all right, it's time to iterate, it's time to improve. Is it when it's yep. broken or is it when it's not performing optimally? Or give us a sense of how do you yeah. look at that? Yeah, let me let me use a real life example that's that's clear and present right in front of us right now. And it might be a little controversial. You might be listening, saying, "Well, hey, um, this is like I disagree with you." That's fine. Disagree, agree, whatever it may be. I'm going to walk through this process with COVID. Okay, so I've been reading about COVID since the end of 2019, before it hit our shores. Well, probably hit our shores before then, in my opinion. But anyway, um, I start reading about this. I'm like, something's crazy here, right? Like this, something's not right. I start to read about it. Um, COVID hits. People are making assumptions. They're saying this, you know, this number of people are going to die. I read as much as I could, and I found uh, the Diamond Princess. I think was the name of the cruise ship that there was an outbreak of COVID. And I said, okay, I'm going to assume that the general population is probably a bit healthier than the population that goes on a cruise. And if you like cruises, no offense to you, but this is, <laughs> that is you know, so rude, but probably true. But yep. Hey, if people, you know, most people that go on cruises, you know, you're, you're, it's, this is like in, uh, in the winter, you know, early part of the year, you know, you're sedentary, you eat a lot of food, you drink a lot of alcohol. Like these, these are good, fun things to do in every once in a while, but a cruise ship, not the most healthiest of, of environments. And Oh, by the way, you're, you're closed in, right. Breathing the same mm -hmm. area in a lot of cases, you're going to the buffets together, you know, you're, you're in these areas. I'm thinking that's probably a really bad place to be during the middle of a, of a respiratory viral outbreak. Okay. So I looked at the numbers in that and I said, okay, let's see what the assumptions that we're making about COVID are. And then let's see how the actual numbers are coming out of this. I see that the numbers on this cruise ship are like half of, of the rates. So I extrapolated from that and I said, all right, I'm not as worried about COVID as I was originally. However, I took all the precautions. I, I bought, um, I bought PPE for our family, masks, um, antivirals, all kinds of stuff, just you know, to, to be safe. But I kept following it. So again, I assume the worst, and then I start to say, "Hang on a second, I'm not, I'm, I'm overly cautious. I, I can, I can relax a little bit." But then I say, "Okay, what, what are the risk factors?" So I, I kept going after the data and saying, "All right," because people start talking about the Spanish flu. Spanish flu killed a disproportionate number of young people. COVID's not like that. It's the opposite. It's the inverse. It kills a disproportionate number of older people for different reasons. And it, it has to do with the ACE, um, ACE uh, kind of receptor system in the body. I'm not going to go into that because um, I'm a real hyper, hyper, hyper nerd, right? But <laughs> the bottom line is I, start, I kept questioning like what we were seeing in public. And then I said, all right, well, you know, do mass work, right? And then I started looking at this data and I was like, okay, I started to question whether or not mass work, because remember, I was the first guy to go out and buy N95 masks for my family. I had employees, we were fitted them with N95 masks. I was still working in the medical industry at the time. And then I, I found out that my assumptions were incorrect on that. So I started operating a little bit differently. Um, it seemed like, and then I started saying, well, hang on, what are we focused on as a society? 
I said, hey, family, we need to take vitamin D. We need to get outside. We need to exercise. We need to keep ourselves as healthy as possible. Um, you know, because people are focusing on, you know, these these external things that we can do. Well, staying inside, not working out, not getting vitamin D, it's not the most healthy thing that you can do, right? Then finally, the the vaccines came, and I'm very thankful. I'm like, okay, this is going to help us break out of this thing. But I kept following the data and seeing. Like what's the best vaccine that we take? Now we're finding out the vaccines are only about 50% effective at six months. So we can't have this false sense of hope that the vaccines are gonna save us forever. I got COVID, I wear what's called an aura ring and I participate in a study. This aura ring uh, in the study showed 48, 72 hour predictability of COVID before you get symptoms. It gave me 48 hour heads up. I was able to isolate, start treatment ahead of time. So again, I continued to question from the beginning when I assumed the worst, Again, I was the first person to go out and, and buy all the stuff to protect my family. I got a lot more optimistic. We had the vaccines come out. I was optimistic, but then saw that they weren't a cure-all. I focused on other things like this technology, the aura ring. And what I did was I, when I looked at my app and it showed me that I had some, some, met, some biometric markers that were elevated, I went and got tested for COVID because I was supposed to interact with my 70 and 72-year-old in-laws the next day. I saved myself from interacting with them because I continued to analyze, question assumptions, iterate, improve things in my own situation. It also allowed me to recover in 48 hours, I believe, because I was able to, to treat and detect it. And you can apply the same process of questioning assumptions, continuing to educate, improve the process that you go through in any area of your life or investing. And I think this applies tremendous in a tremendous way to multifamily investing. So are there any examples of things that you've had to analyze, question assumptions, improve, edu obviously educate and improve in your business? Is there anything in particular within a property or within your portfolio that you've had to do a similar sort of process on recently? Um, I, I have I have several examples, um, but let's let's go back. So let's let's kind of continue the theme of COVID, right? So we were investing mostly in workforce housing pre-COVID. Um, I mentioned earlier on, I kind of teased that I said I learned about cycles. There's an awesome book um, called The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking by Phil Anderson. And he talks about the 18, 19 year cycle in real estate. And I was really nervous coming into 2020. And you can listen to my interviews because I was like, I think we're setting up for something here. And this, I didn't predict COVID. I wish I did. I would have made, you know, we wouldn't be talking. <laughs> I'd be, um, you know, counting the extra couple zeros in my bank account. We'd um, still be talking. Let's be honest. Come on. Okay. Okay. We probably would. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I, I knew we were setting up for something. So what we did is we moved out of that workforce housing and started to buy higher quality properties. So these were properties that were, that were newer that had, instead of having average rents between like 800 to a thousand dollars, maybe a thousand to $1,500 a month in rents that we could move higher because we felt that that would be more stable going into a rough economy. So we, we did that and we continue to move in that area. And again, I love multifamily. I loved workforce housing, but I, I had to question were the assumptions I made five years before as I moved into the space the same and they were not. We were at a different point in the economic cycle. And it was that question that moved us in a different direction. That portfolio that we acquired pre-2020 had a 10%, uh, not vacancy, but 10% um, default rate. So collections were only about 90%, whereas we averaged 98% in the new portfolio that we built after that. So that's a massive 
massive difference in performance. It's the difference between distributions to investors and no distributions to investors. Yeah, no question. Yeah. And and it's like, it's an iteration for the, the, really the, the construction of your portfolio across the board. Correct. Right. So you Correct. question the assumption of the, the thought process and the viability of that strategy moving forward. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is important in this business is to kind of read the tea leaves and to anticipate what's next. Right. So you're right. not only you're kind of reacting in real time, but you're also being proactive ahead of time. Yeah. Right. So how are you Absolutely. looking at like yeah. what's continuing to unfold? Because we're, we're always in unfolding yeah. events. So what Absolutely. are you seeing? I mean, like, how does this iterate? How do you iterate moving forward, whether it's just the overall strategy or or just operations or what have you? I mean, is there any other things that you're anticipating right now? Yes. Here's the big one. Um, so first off, we added we added mobile home mobile homes to our portfolio in the last year because I think they offer a more durable option when the economy turns down. Um, we're also, we're doing a small development deal, 15 lot development deal outside of Asheville here because there's a housing shortage and we're positioning ourselves in a market, um, that has, it has a nice profit margin, but also uh, a shortage there. But here's what I'm looking at for the next decade, senior housing. So nobody's really talking about this. Well, I, I haven't heard a lot of people talking about this right now, Tyler. Um, but here's the thing, the same demographic trends that led us to, the stock market boom in the 80s and 90s to the housing boom in the 80s and 90s, um, even to some of the multifamily boom now because you have a lot of these baby boomers um, that are retiring, we are setting up for a massive problem in the senior housing space. And that's where I'm starting to build um, my, my knowledge base. And I'm, I'm pulling up, uh, trying to pull up some charts here from uh, my book. And this is probably, this is, kind of a good one here, but you can kind of see how eh, this is not going to show up. You can see that yeah, spike if you're on here. YouTube, yeah. you'll be able to see this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, listen, I wrote, I wrote a, I wrote a blog on, it. if you search for senior housing um, in on my blog, you can find it there. But the bottom line is we have a massive demographic wave coming and we're going to have a massive shortage in the senior housing area. So look, I like to make bets. I make, to, I like make, I like to make 10 year bets on trends. Okay. That's going back to what we talked about before. I said, hey, look, I know that the baby boomers are going to need surgery for the next 20 years. I'm going to build my career around this. I know that we're going to have a housing shortage for the next 10 years, 20 years even, and we're going to have this demand for multifamily. I'm going to bet on multifamily. I think we're setting up for the same thing in the senior housing space. And the next 10 years, it's a good 10 to 20 years is a good bet to place in that area. I love that. So making 10 years bet, 10 year bets based on trends. I want to ask yes. you a couple of questions. I want to circle back on a couple of the, the iterations that a part of your strategy, you mentioned mobile homes. It's interesting um, that you, you took the workforce housing to a higher quality in the multifamily space. And you're also supplementing sort of uh, you're almost hedging in the mobile home space on sort of more affordable yet perhaps what you see as less delinquency perhaps and maybe we can table that and come back to it um and so that's really interesting and i think that's fascinating i think it's a lot that the listeners should to take into account when they're considering their own adjustments that they're making but you're talking about senior housing where are you finding your data to be most insightful or what sources do you look at closely as far as demographics to make these bets yeah, I mean, so 
Um, just census bureau stuff or I mean, what are you looking yeah, at? Yeah. And again, I mean, I, I, I rely on multiple, like, I mean, I'd have to go and, and like literally read down a list of all the, all the sites I read on a daily basis for all, all kinds of different stuff. Um, but yeah, so for like for multifamily, for instance, and you look at the census data, um, like the multifamily, uh, what is it? The multifamily housing council, I believe is what mm-hmm. it is. I mean, source in my book, us census, you know, Fannie Mae, um, is where he pulled some of this data, uh, us census bureau, ACS, um, you know, so a lot of this stuff, it's, it's just census data and then you can extrapolate from it. Um, there's some different authors that I followed and some are kind of controversial, but I look at, you know, I mentioned Phil Anderson. I looked to him for like real estate trends. Um, Harry S dent who I, I wouldn't necessarily depend on for like market predictions, but if you look at his actual demo demographic data and what he studies there, um, I think is, is really good. And again, so I'll look at somebody like that and they'll say, they may make a broad suggestion say, Hey, you know, look at, um, senior housing or look at recreational vehicles or something like that. And then I'll go and investigate that space based on that, that larger thing. Um, when it, when it comes to, you know, kind of moving out of the workforce housing, which I, I think it's a great arena, but we, it's it's overcrowded. I think cap rates have gotten pressed down. I think you have to be conscious of the risk-adjusted return and the risk-adjusted returns have shrunk in that space. I still think I, I want an affordable housing option in my portfolio, but I want one that performs better. And the fact of the matter is there's not as many players in the mobile home space. And when the economy turns down, it does perform better than some of these lower uh, income, uh, multifamily options. And the reason is there's not a lot below that. If somebody's paying $300 a month in lot rent, they can't, you know, to spend $5,000 to move their home. They're, they're probably not going to do that to save 10, 25, even 50 bucks. It's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense at that, at that price point. There's also a lot more meat on the bone. Like the improvements we make in the, in the properties we buy, Tyler are massive. Like you wouldn't even recognize some of these properties. Um, so there's just a really high upside from, you know, the quality that we can change in these properties. And I've been, one of my partners, he's like, Hey, did you ever step foot in a mobile home park? This is our first tour together. And, um, when I was in high school, we used to do, uh, uh, service projects into, into Appalachia, Appalachian service project is, is what it was called. And we worked, um, most of these people lived in, in mobile homes and, you know, we'd make a lot of improvements and it's, it's really incredible what you can do in a week with, with some resources to a person's, you know, home that they live in. Um, so to be able to do that at scale into some of these communities and improve the quality of life of these individuals for, for not a lot of money, um, and, and great returns for investors, frankly, it's, it's a great, it's a great space to be in. I love that. And in our company's philosophy is that we can elevate communities together. We're not in the mobile home space. We are multifamily, but I can see how that'd be extremely relevant in what you're talking about because everybody wins when you do the right thing. And so thinking about just the the composition of your portfolio and your strategies, I feel like it's it's set up for success, whether we continue this this bull market, we have a bear market, we have, you know, significant challenges on the horizon. Look, here's the thing. Nassim Tlaib, uh, the black swan, anything is possible, right? We've been talking about a lot of, you know, what to consider when, cons- you know, growing your portfolio as an investor. 
what do you think is on the horizon? I mean, I, I try to ask as many smart people as I can, but you know, there's, there's no crystal ball, but I'd love yeah. to hear, I mean, you know, five, 10 years in the future. I mean, are you anticipating? I mean, I think it's, in my opinion, I think it's smart to anticipate that we will have a cycle, but it almost seems in, in many regards, people are like, look, we don't have to have cycles anymore. I mean, I'm not a believer of that at all, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So um, look, you can go back in this country to the 1850s and the cycles are there. Okay. And they're driven by demographic underlying demographic trends. Um, you know, some people say 17 years, some people say 20 years. I think it's probably more like approximately 18.6 years, <laughs> but <laughs> I just 18, 18 to 19 years seems to be a pretty good range. And there's a few people I follow, um, that kind of track these trends. And by the way, different, like, like, commercial, um, commercial office and industrial and residential and multifamily and what market you in, they, they move at different times. So we have to be conscious of these things, but in the overall housing market, okay, we, we just passed what I would call the mid cycle point. Okay. So we, we started the new cycle here kind of at the beginning of this decade, we were coming out of it around 2012. So that sets us up for, you know, 2030 ish to finish this cycle somewhere around there, maybe the end of this decade, but it's, you have to be conscious that the last like four years or so of the cycle are a downturn. So if you want to hedge your bets a little bit, we're 2021, I'm saying we probably have three to five years, you know, three to five years left in the cycle coming out of this mid cycle slowdown. Um, history rhymes, but it doesn't repeat itself. So what is it going to look like? When is it going to happen? When's the stock market going to crash? When's the housing market going to crash? Stock market probably comes down before the housing market does. I'm talking about the housing market, okay? So because the stock market is a future seer. It looks into the future and people make future bets in the stock market. They look at future profits, okay, to, to value those things. So if it starts to drop, they mean, that means the economy is going to start to drop in the future. So that's something to consider as well if you're looking at this. But the underlying issue is that we underbuilt for over a decade. We have the biggest generation in history with the millennials and the baby boomers, the biggest generation before them, both vying for the same properties right now. Gen Z, I just read a study, Gen Z, which they're just coming into their adult years now in their early 20s, 23, 24, 25. I had Hannah Williams, great Gen Z expert. She's 23 or 24 right now on my podcast. You should check that out. Nice. Only about 35% of Gen Z say that part of their dream is to own a home. 35%. Wow. In immigrants, which whether you agree or disagree with it uh, politically or not, are streaming into this country. Immigrants rent in disproportionate numbers to people that are already here, 75% around about. So we have all of these things and not enough housing. So just, just a you know, a dumb person can look at this and say, wow, supply and demand econ 101. We got a We got a problem here. And that's a reason why, why the housing market is on a tear. So I think we have a few more good years um, in this, but I think it's also, this is a good point. It's also a time to start stacking cash. We are putting mass amounts of money into our cash value life insurance policies. And I even talk on my website under our banking link, how you can utilize strategies that complement your real estate while at the same time building your cash stores so that when the next opportunity comes to buy at discounted rates, you're ready. 
Chris, I love the way that you think, man. And um, I think it's a it's an invitation for the listener to study, to, you know, recognize what's happened over history and, and recognize well, what may be rhyming about this cycle and understand really the dynamics of the cycle, what causes certain events to occur and make plans and act and behave in certain ways to maximize your own financial freedom and your own impact in so many different ways. So Chris, this is awesome. Before I transition us into the rapid fire section of our podcast, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what role does mindset play in your success? It's, it's core. It's at the base of everything. And, you know, whether it was, you know, I kind of mentioned in the beginning, maybe I'm just built to suffer. You know, if, if you know, if you know, you're running a marathon, you know, and you're like, okay, you can get through it. You, you mile by mile, you tick through it. You know, your, your brain, your body, it's amazing what we can endure if you know what you're going through. All right. So mindset is, is key to anything is, as you build a plan, whatever I said today, I'm, I, I'm definitely have said something that was wrong and you need to be able to say, okay, I'm going to course correct. I'm going to move forward, but this is where I'm going. When you get in your car and you put your destination in Google maps and there's an accident and Google takes you on a detour, you don't freak out and say, I'm not going the place I thought I was going. You say, okay, Google, he's, they're going to take me there. I think maybe not. Yeah, recalculate. Maps, yeah. Yeah. You just, you just course correct and figure that out. The most important thing is Google still has that same destination in there that you put in. You've got to keep your mind on the goal. You've got to keep your mind secure and solid on where you're going on the horizon. And even if you get pushed off course, you've got to get up. You've got to figure out what you could do differently next time. And then you got to keep going, keep taking massive action. Man, I love that. And it's so it's really interesting. Actually, I'll, I'll tell a quick story. Before I got on this podcast, I was just looking at my my Apple Watch, uh, my my stats, right? I always, yeah. you know, how, how many yeah. calories have I burned today? And, and, you know, what's my exercise minutes and stand and all this stuff and close my rings, I was going to close the rings. And I have some I have a few friends who are kind of my friends on the Apple Watch thing. And I, I always see like how they're doing and what their goals are. And and there's various different goals, right? And so you can set a goal of a move goal per day and so forth. And what I find, and if you look at the trends, you can actually look at everyone's trends over the past, however long you've been connected with them on this app. And what you see is that people tend to go around that baseline of what their goal is. And so if I have a higher goal of a higher move goal, I tend to be in that area. And so the question is, what is your goal? Are you aiming low? Are you aiming high? And I think that there's a vast difference in the outcomes that we get because when we plant that goal in our mind, that's almost the most important decision. And now all of our decisions can then, and our behavior can follow. So I'm a big believer in mindset. So I appreciate you answering that for me. Oh, it's huge. And here's, here's a shortcut. So if you're listening, it's way easier to 10 X your goal than to two X your goal. And here's why Dan Sullivan says this in strategic coach, which I'm a part of. If you, ten, if you have to 10 X your goal, if you say, I'm going to go from hundred thousand to a million dollars a year, you've got to do things differently, right? If I say, I'm going to make 10% more next year, that you really don't have to do things differently. You can keep doing the same stuff. And the chances of you accomplishing much more aren't that high. When I was in business, when I was in sales, people say, Hey, we want you to grow 5% next year. I'd say, I want to own hundred percent of the business. How about that? Like that is how you change and grow massively. 
It's so important, man. Chris, this is awesome. Uh, I want to transition into the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's called the rare air questionnaire. We were talking about rarefied air earlier in the podcast and, and, you know, being an accredited investor, you know, reaching financial freedom to a lot of the things that we've talked about today, this is rare, but guess what? Rare is good. Right. And, and rare, it's Nobody rare to, to set a goal. It's rare to 10 X. But you know what? We're not here to be average. We're here to do massive things. So with that said, I want to ask you a few questions. Uh, first of which, if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Yeah, I just mentioned this on another podcast. This is not a financial book. It's called Lifespan by David Sinclair. Um, just recently listened. Yeah, I just recently listened to a, um, a podcast with David Sinclair and Joe Rogan. It's great. Listen to that. Read his book. Um, again, if you haven't, um, I just reread this, The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking by Phil Anderson. Um, fantastic book there. Um, geez, I, that's, that's two. And you can, you can read my book for number three. How about that? That's a cheater, <laughs> that's a, cheater a cheater answer. Yeah. No, that's not a cheater answer at all, but we'll put links in the show notes as to where the listeners can find both of those books. I definitely recommend Lifespan. I think it's interesting. You know, you've mentioned a couple of times in the podcast, hey, your goal is to live 220, right? You said 122, that. 122, actually. Yeah. but 122. Yeah. So mine's 123. Because oh. my favorite number is 23. So, ah. um, you know, All right. um, but, but, you know, it's interesting because you, you mentioned Dan Sullivan and what Dan Sullivan says is the most fundamental thought in the human life, whether it's conscious or subconscious, most of the time it's subconscious is how long are we going to live? How much longer do we have left? And you think about lifespan, you think about the technology and all these things, we have an opportunity to expand our health and our life. So anyway, go ahead. That's great. His, his book, you, you can add this as your third. Um, it's his, my, my plan to live to 156 by Dan Sullivan. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. My, that's all about Love mindset. It. All about mindset. Love it. Yeah. We'll put links in the show notes as to where the listeners can find that book. We'll find Lifespan, Secret, to Life, Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking, and of course, Next Level Income. Uh, we'll, that's nextlevelincome.com slash book. We'll put a link in the show notes. But Chris, tell me, uh, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? I think it's gr gratitude. So, you know, I think... Um, I was just talking to my son about this on the way to school the other day. You know, you can either have um, a scarcity mindset or you have an abundance mindset. And I think if you're grateful, if you're in, and Tony, I think Tony Robbins says this, but if you're in a place of gratefulness you know, you're feeling grateful, you're feeling love, you're feeling all these things, you, you crowd out everything else. Anxiety goes away. The hate goes away. Um, if you start your day with a gratefulness practice, just, just wake up, you know, you know, get your coffee, whatever it is you do in the morning, sit down, take a few deep breaths and think about one, two, three things that you're grateful for. You can write them down. You can not write them down. You can put them in your phone, whatever, whatever it is. But if you start there, I think you just, you end up in a much more abundant place. And I would expand that into people that don't share that abundant mindset that are scarce, that are fighting for scraps. You need to eliminate those people from your lives. That is fundamental, fundamental. And I highly recommend the listener re-listen to everything that Chris just said right there, because that is a game changer. And this is stuff that you can build on and scale on in so many different ways. So thank you for sharing that, Chris. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? Yeah. So, I mean, Next Level Income was founded. NextLevelIncome.com is an education platform. Everything on there is free. So I really, truly believe, as we mentioned, Tyler, that financial independence and financial education is something that we owe to the next generation and that we can make massive changes in this country. You know, aside from the health 
area, which you know, I spent a lot of my life in the healthcare system. You know, my expertise though is in the financial side. So improve your health. Um, but what I do is, you know, we, we uh, started a financial literacy program here locally, but I try to impact a larger number of people online. Chris, man, I want to acknowledge you for giving. I want to acknowledge you for, you know, spreading education, truth, um, you know, giving people an inspiration for reaching higher because man, if we reach higher, then we can go higher and Absolutely. giving people the tools because you know what, there's a lot of people who take, but you're giving. And so I just want to acknowledge you for that. But Chris, thank you so much for being on Elevate. Thank you so much for being an amazing guest. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like, like to share with Elevate Nation today? Oh man, Tyler, this has been great. Thank you for everything that you do. And again, no matter where you are today, wake up tomorrow, put yourself in a state of gratefulness, figure out your plan, and then take massive action. That will allow you to get where you want to be and achieve the dreams that you have in your life. Boom. Drop the mic, my friend. The listeners can find Chris at nextlevelincome.com or you can find Chris on LinkedIn uh, at Next Level Income, also on Facebook, Instagram at The Next Level Income Show. Chris, is there anywhere else where the listeners can find you? Uh, probably right here in Asheville. So if you come to visit, look me up, check it out. I'll grab a cup of coffee or drink. Love it. Love it, my friend. Chris, until next time, thanks again for being on the show, my friend. That's been awesome. Thank you. Elevate Nation, Chris Larson, dropping knowledge, dropping wisdom, and dropping investing iteration and composition knowledge so that you can take your financial freedom to the next level, so that you can take your goal setting to the next level, so you can take your future to the next level. This is next level stuff right here. So I'm just so grateful for this opportunity to share so much wisdom with Chris. And, you know, in many ways, I, I, I honestly anticipated us talking about a lot of, you know, structuring systems and processes, but what we're talking about really is thinking bigger. And we're thinking about how can we structure and systematize the way that we view the world and the way that we read data, the way that we behave, the way that we make decisions. And so to me, this is so valuable, so much more valuable than getting in the weeds on some, you know, system or process. And so I hope that you found massive value from today's episode. I hope that you are now saying, you know what? I can iterate, I can change, I can grow, I can think bigger, I can do bigger, I can be bigger, and I can have financial freedom and so much more because guess what? You can, you can, and you should, you should. So if you're listening to this, that's the call for you is to step up and to create your future. Don't be scared. Don't think small because guess what? Those are choices. Both of those are choices. Be bold be brave and think big and go big and let's go. So with all that said, I want to encourage you to discuss this with someone else. What was it? What were some of your takeaways? What was the top takeaway two or three? Discuss those because we learn more when we talk with someone else. And when we have discourse, when we disagree, if maybe you disagree with something, argue that, argue that point and uh, share this episode with a friend and let them know what was it that you got from this episode. Ultimately, of course, repetition is also the mother of all skills. So if you re-listen, you're going to learn twice as much. And with all that said, at the end of the day, the most important thing is to take massive action. So your takeaways need to become your reality. So take massive action. Until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.